If you have a Bible, go, if you would, to the book of Judges. We're in a series in Luke, so we're going to start uh, in Judges. And I want to let you know, too, that one of the great gifts I get, uh, there are many, but one of them is I get the month of August to go away and to study, and the elders uh, give me an August off. And what that means is that I'm not off of doing study. It means that I'm not prepping new sermons, so I don't speak during the month of August, Um, And we do that for lots of reasons. One of them is I do a lot of my prep for the rest of the year. So a lot of what you say you like is a lot of the research. A lot of that research is done because I'm reading obscure stuff like you can't imagine. So last August, uh, I I got through 54 books. The goal is 55 this year. Brothers and sisters, yes. I want to have a thermometer just on my desk and color it in. And it's going to be glorious. But... We also do this because it gives us the opportunity to hear from other kingdom voices. And so Larry Osborne, uh, our own Tim Muehlhoff, uh, Ryan Kwan, who is an EV free pastor, are going to speak. And then it gives us the opportunity to hear from some of the younger teachers too. So Austin from Austin uh, is going to be teaching. Aaron uh, is going to be teaching. We'll do a summer wrap up and then boom, it's September, which is awesome. Because you know, do you know what August is? It's the beginning of football season. And, um, and the long stretch of golf is over. <laughs> All right. Let's. <laughs> you must be the spouse of someone who spends a lot of time watching the golf. Okay, so let's go to Judges. Now, if, um, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, this is one of the stories that causes you to not want to be familiar with the Bible. This is, uh, this is a bit of an interesting story. We're going to meet a man named Samson. Now, Samson, you, you may have heard the story. He's got luggage named after him. Um, Samson, <laughs> Samson was something called a Nazarite. Now, in the Old Testament, a Nazarite was somebody who would voluntarily undergo a special like dedication to the Lord. And, and there are a couple of instances. Samson's one where he didn't voluntarily choose it. God led his parents to make him a Nazarite. So a Nazarite meant several things, but three are important for our story. One, uh, you don't cut your hair, right? So I'm the opposite of a Nazarite. Uh, number, two, uh, number two, Nazarites do not touch or have anything to do with grapes or wine, anything that is produced on a vine. And then thirdly, Nazarites are not allowed to come into contact with dead things. And and the reason is if they come into contact with dead things, they have to shave their hair uh, and, um, and go through a purification ritual. Now, Samson's hair was different in the sense that it wasn't just a Nazarite thing, but it was also the source of great strength. And so Samson's one of those guys that, you know, we kind of want to put in the superhero category, but not really because he's a bit shady. Uh, For instance, Samson is going to marry a young Philistine woman. Now, the problem with that is he's Jewish. Though the young lady is not Jewish, the Philistines were oppressors of Israel during this time, so it's a bit of a problem. Samson, on his way to the wedding, sees a a carcass of a lion. He's not allowed to touch dead things, but in the carcass are some bees, and they've made a nest, and here's some honey. And so according to the text, he reaches into the lion's carcass, and he takes out some honey, which would have defiled him, and, and that broke his Nazarite vow right there. But he's eating the honey on his way to the wedding. And then as part of the wedding ritual, he gives a riddle in, that, that the answer of which is the lion and the honey. He gives a riddle in, like, to the wedding party. And if, he gives them a certain amount of time to solve the riddle. If they solve the riddle during that time, 
He has to get them 30 sets of clothes because he's made a bet with 30 guys. If they do not guess the riddle, they give him 30 sets of clothes. Now, the, the, the Philistine crew, the village, they're not real happy that they can't guess the riddle Samson gives them. So they pressure Samson's wife. Samson's wife begins to pester her husband to the point where he finally says, okay, here's the answer. She tells the village. The village says, yeah, we got your riddle. Samson, in a fit of rage, goes to another village, kills 30 dudes, and takes their clothes to pay off the bet in the other village, all right? Not a great guy. Now, we're going to pick up the narrative. Judges 15, verse 1. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife, right? Which is what you do. (laughs) Gentlemen, Bill, young goats. He got to the house and said, I'm going to visit my wife's room. But her father, the Philistine dad, would not let him. I was so sure you hated her that I gave her to your younger companion. Or excuse me, to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Now, there's some Bible stories I don't read to my kids. And, and this, this is in that category. But now, hated has divorce overtones. So the father says, well, I was pretty clear you weren't interested in her because you went and murdered 30 dudes in response to the bet. So I married her off to somebody else. Right? So Sam's, so go ahead. I still have another daughter. You can marry her. Which, if you're the younger daughter, how stoked are you? Not. <laughs> Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Now, the phrase get even is used of an innocent party. So Samson sees himself as totally innocent. Never mind the 30 dudes he just killed. This time I have a right to get even, is what he's saying. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, then let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. Now, that, that is a very Jewish way of telling us there are two kinds of crops, summer crops, winter crops. This is the time of year when there's overlap between the two and Samson destroys both. Wheat's a crop of winter, vinegar, uh, olives, that's a summer crop. Samson destroys them both. So we've killed 30 people. He can't go see his wife, so he ruins their entire economy for the year, for this village. Now what's interesting is what the Philistines do. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So what did the Philistines do? They went up and burned her and her father to death. Awesome. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge. Now, isn't this, I mean, really, Samson, you're the innocent guy here? Well, since you did this, now I'm totally justified. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave. The Philistines went up into Israel, and they spread out near Lehi, I guess. The people of Judah, people of Israel, asked, Why, Philistines, have you showed up? We've come to take Samson prisoner. Why? To do to him what he did to us. Now, Israel is being ruled by 
the Philistines at this point. So they gathered 3,000 men from Israel, went down to the cave, and said to Samson, what are you doing? Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? Samson answered, I'm only doing to them what they're doing to me. Isn't it interesting? Both sides say the exact same thing. I'm only doing to them what they did to me first. Then they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Okay, Samson said, don't, make sure you don't kill me. They agree. As uh, they approached the town, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes in his arms became like charred flax. The bindings dropped from his hands, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, what's a fresh jawbone? You had to kill the donkey to get it, is that's how fresh it is. So here's, he's breaking his Nazarite vow. And in fact, there are some scholars that think when it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it wasn't to empower him, it was to stop him or to confront him from doing what he was about to do. We don't have time to get into that. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And the story gets worse. It ends with him collapsing a temple on himself and killing 3,000 Philistines. Now, what is so interesting about this story is the fact that it perfectly embodies something I call the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity is simply this. You treat people the way that they treat you. Right? That's the law of reciprocity. If you treat me well, how do I treat you? Well. If you treat me poorly, how do I treat you? Poorly. If you harm me, I harm you. If you compliment me, I compliment you. If you give me a gift, I give you a gift. That's the law of reciprocity. Now, the negative side of reciprocity is this. When conflict widens from an inner family dispute to now we're involving nations and thousands of people, but it also escalates, right? It goes from a personal insult to the murder of 30 to the murder of 1,000 to the destruction of an economy to slaughter, And at each step along the way, the other party is saying, I'm only doing what they did to me. Right? That's the law of reciprocity, right there. And this law governs every ounce of human nature. It's automatic, wouldn't you agree? You You get a nasty email. What is the most natural thing in the world? To send one back. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What is the most natural thing in the world? Bless you. Sure. Sure. Who, which one's your wife? I'll ask her later and we'll see how you do on that one. Right? The most natural thing, except for this gentleman, the most natural thing in the world is to tell them they're number one using the wrong finger. Right? There, there's a sense in which... Somebody seeks to harm me, I'm going to harm them first. And, and, and this, is the under, this is the underlying basis of gangs. And this is the underlying basis of all of our entertainment. I mean, how many movies are just straight up revenge flicks? Where an injured party, something horrible happens, and then there's such great joy at watching them get even. Right? Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. And when he strikes down the emperor, come on, he deserved it. Our superhero movies, I mean, the, the Taken movies, I mean, these are, all, these are all the myth of redemptive violence. That if you get powerful enough and strong enough, the way you answer violence is with such overwhelming force, you take care of it. 
But besides those big grand ideas, the law of reciprocity just governs the way we relate to each other every single day in our pettiness. Somebody's rude to me, I'm rude to them. They don't give me good service, I don't tip well. Right? Married people, how's this? Why'd you never pick up your underwear? (laughs) Hypothetically, she might say to me, Because I'm going to wear them again. Hypothetically, I might say them to her. Say that to her. Well, but look at all. And, and so my wife and I, we find this thing where there's a jab, and then there's a counterpunch, and then there's a counter to the counter that's just a little over, and then you got to over that, and then pretty soon you decide the best way to handle this is not talk for the next couple of days, right? I mean, it's just, married folks, can I get an amen? I will assume your laughter or your silence is tacit admission. Okay, this is the way the world works. Everything is built on this. I do good to those who do good to me. I love those who love me. I hate those who hate me. End of story. This is natural, automatic, and it's everywhere. Go to the book of Matthew. Jesus has an opportunity to play this game. And I love what he does here. Matthew, now one of his, remember we talked about the 12 several weeks ago. One of the 12 is a guy named Judas. Judas is going to sell out Jesus And the way he's going to do it is they're going to arrest Jesus, but it's during the night. They don't have fluorescent light. So they have torches, but just to be sure they got the right guy, Judas is going to go kiss Jesus to let the authorities know they got the right guy. Matthew 26, verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, we don't even call him Judas right now. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus says, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. Now who's this? Right, Peter, who we love, he reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, I don't know if he was aiming for the ear or not. I'm thinking he was a fisherman first and a swordsman second, you know what I'm saying? But what's the most natural thing to do when people approach you with swords? You take out a sword too. I mean, that's just easy. He's been with Jesus maybe three years He's been with Jesus hearing all the teaching, but still, in that moment, the most natural thing to do when confronted with a sword is to take your own out and to use it. Jesus, however, I love what Jesus says, verse 52, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Hey, Peter, we know how the sword thing goes. We've seen this script a million times. It escalates and it widens. And we know how it ends, right? All who live by the sword die by the sword. End of sword. We know how that script works. And then Jesus says this. I love this. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, legion. Oh, that's a Roman word, right? So legions were around Israel. Legion was about 6,000 people. So Jesus, Jesus says, oh, oh, let me, Peter, let me just explain something to you for a second. You got your little paltry sword cutting off an ear. Jesus heals the ear later. Just to be clear, 
I can give the word and we've got 72,000 angels that are going to show up. I'm pretty sure one angel is enough to handle this crowd, but just in case you were wondering, I've got 72,000. What is Jesus saying there? Hey, if I wanted to play the sword game, I would win. Right? I would win. Just so you know, Peter, I'm not doing this because I don't have other options. I'm doing it precisely because I could do it the other way and won't. And then he looks at Peter and says, well, how else are the scriptures going to be fulfilled that it has to happen this way? But just so you know, if I wanted to play the sword game, I would win. And then Jesus allows himself to be arrested. I mean, think about what happens to him from this moment. The story that's given to us, go ahead and put it up on the screen, is that every imaginable horror that could be inflicted on somebody was inflicted upon him, right? He is questioned, betrayed, deserted, denied, spit on, struck on his face, slapped, mocked, stripped naked, insulted, beaten, lied about, falsely accused, convicted, condemned, crucified, humiliated, scorned, pierced, bruised, rejected, hated, stared at, left naked in public to die, and ultimately put to death. Right? I mean, th- there, was not, th- there wasn't a more creative, humiliating way to die in the first century than this one. And, and Jesus just wants everyone to know, hey, I, I got 72,000 angels, just so you know. He'll say in another place, no one takes my life. I give it freely. So if Jesus wanted to play the sword game, he could play the sword game. But he gives us another option. So as this is happening... What's Jesus' response? Well, we have these, these stories, these statements, these little incidences that happen while Jesus is on the cross. So, so a thief hanging next to Jesus says, remember me, teacher, when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? We'll do. You'll be with me today in paradise, which a very Jewish, beautiful way of describing life in the age to come. His mother, he sees his mother, and as the eldest son is responsible for her care, so he says to John, take care of my mother. But perhaps the most profound thing Jesus of Nazareth says is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, we've, if you've been in church, you you got that story down. But think about what he's done. He took, he's the only person that's ever done this perfectly. He took all the evil directed at him and he took it out of circulation. Not once did he repay insult for insult. Mockery for mockery, anger for anger, not once. He absorbed it, he blessed, he took it out of circulation. So it's not surprising when we get to Luke 6 that Jesus has something in mind for us along those lines as well. Luke chapter 6. Now remember, verse 27, now remember, last week it was a nice, fluffy, blessing and woe kind of sermon. Because I know, listen, here's what I learned last week. I learned that you remember with perfect recall every single sermon that's ever been uttered in this room. I love that. I love it. I love that I can count on that. I'm just going to preach the same thing a couple of weeks in a row and see if you recognize it. Now, Jesus is instructing his disciples on life in his kingdom and he's mentioned to them in the blessings and the woes that there, there will be people that will persecute them, exclude them, insult them. How should they respond? But you who are listening, I say this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the least obeyed teaching of Jesus in the history of the Christian movement. Would you agree? Because instantly you go, you, you have one of three reactions. Impossible? Well, what about, 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 what about? Even though the whatabouts only cover like 5% of our life, right? We want to run to those. Or you just say, here's Jesus kind of being a fairy tale sort of guy again, right? This isn't real. I mean, he did it. So we don't have to, right? Right? He did it so we don't have to. So we're covered, right? And I think Jesus is saying something a bit different than all of those reactions. I think Jesus, I mean, think about what he's saying here. So to our enemy, the normal response, to be an enemy back, to harm back, to oppose back. Someone opposes me, I'm going to oppose them. That's just, of course. The kingdom response is to love. Now love, it's very important you understand this, love isn't here a feeling. One of the worst things Hollywood has ever done to us is to taught us that there's such a thing as falling in love and out of love. That's not true. Love is a choice. It's an act of will. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, to your enemy whom you don't particularly care for, act in a manner congruent with their best interests. That's love. Or or how about those who hate us? Oh, those who hate us. Well, that's easy, right? I get fuel for my revenge from their fuel and hatred towards me, right? I mean, I'm only doing to them what they've done to me, right? That's the battle cry of the law of reciprocity. So people who hate me, well, I'll harm them in whatever way I can if they're seeking to harm me. Nope, kingdom response, do good. The person that curses us. Now, this isn't someone who calls us bad names. To curse in the ancient world was to invoke the God or gods to do harm to you. And Jesus says, nope, take that invocation to the one true God and bless. And for those that mistreat us. Now, the mistreat word here, look at me. This isn't talking about women in abusive relationships. Okay, this isn't talking about children in abusive relationships. This mistreat has the idea of insult and degradation. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out. Get out. Call the police and get out. But in the getting out, don't be overcome by bitterness. Get out. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you're getting pummeled at school. Don't tell a teacher. He's not saying that. Don't go to the whatabouts. Go to the 95% of the rest of your life which is filled with this kind of pettiness, right? I mean, I'm at the gas station. Woman comes up, a little disheveled. She says, my car's here. I don't have my, my purse. I have kids in the car. They need to go visit a sick relative. Oh, okay. The owner of the AMPM comes running out and, and he calls her by name. And he says, get out of here, get out of here. Don't you work this and then he, he looks at me and he says look at the car she's driving I didn't see where she'd come from but here's this brand new white SUV and I look, I, I look at him and I look at her and I go are you kidding me I said do you know what you're doing she's going back to the truck now but I'm getting fired up you're not only robbing me but you're causing me to mistrust people who genuinely need my money and my voice raises Now, wife, (laughs) 
Hey, pastor. You think this is helping? Bless you. See, I'm not talking about the whatabouts. I'm talking about the day-to-day real-life stuff between the people you love, the people in your family, your roommates, your schoolmates, people at work. The waiter's rude to you, you're rude back. I mean, this is the way the world works. And Jesus is calling the law of reciprocity into question and breaking it with the resources of his kingdom. See, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just to achieve your individual forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah for that. What he also did is he changed the way the world works. That you no longer have to respond with with evil, with evil. You no longer have to respond with insult, with insult. You don't have to. The world's different now. He's changed the moral fabric of the universe. One of the incredible things that happened during the apartheid trials in South Africa, Bishop Desmond Tutu was up preaching forgiveness, and he looks at the white police officers gathered there to enforce control, and he says, the love of Christ is going to win in the end, so why not join the winning team? And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, guys. Your pride isn't an issue anymore. Whether you're disrespected isn't the issue anymore. There's a whole other way to do this. Now, he makes it worse. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And here we go, right? Well, you mean I got to do it? Jesus is giving three culturally embedded examples that war against something called the, the patron-client relationship in ancient, the ancient world. So there would be people of high social status called patrons. These people would assemble clients. The clients got maybe money, protection, political cover out of the deal. The patron had a whole bunch of like paid servants out of the deal. And what undergirded patron-client relationships was this simple thing. You only help those who can help you. And Jesus is breaking that sucker apart. He'll go to a banquet later in Luke 14, and he'll say, hey, why do you guys keep inviting to each other's banquets? Because they would only invite other people who can invite them back. He says, when you throw a banquet, invite the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. Those people that cannot invite you back. See, the whole world back then lived according to reciprocity. You only help those who can help you. And Jesus simply says, no, no, how about, a, how about a new thing? How about you help anybody? Hey, hey, I got an idea. How about you do for others what God has done for you? Because then he says it. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Anybody can do that. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you can expect repayment, excuse me, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of what? Now this is incredibly important to understand. To be the child of something means that you embody the something. So, 
Two of Jesus' 12 apostles were known as the sons of thunder. Was it because they, their parents were called Mr. and Mrs. Thunder? No. It was because they were like, their personalities were like thunder. Abrupt, angry, over in a flash. To be the son of the Most High is Jesus' way of saying this. The defining characteristic of Jesus' people is the embodiment of Jesus' posture towards enemies. And what was his posture towards enemies? Died for them, served them, forgave them. And now we know why this is the least followed teaching of Jesus. He did it, so I shouldn't have to, right? But if you, so let me ask you, how, how are we doing on this? How, how, do, how are we treating our enemies? Pretty great? No, we're awful. We're known as some of the most mean-spirited folks on the planet, justifiably or not. Okay. Think of all the enemies we got out there. How fun is it to take shots? Jesus, then the reward will be great, and you will be called children of the Most High, because He is kind. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, I know you remember every single sermon I've ever done in this room. So you will remember instantly the fact that table fellowship earlier in chapter 6, there was a, a verse from Leviticus that governed the Pharisees' understanding of table fellowship. The number one command for the Pharisees was love God with everything. Number two command, be holy as I am holy. Jesus takes that command and he fills it with something else. Be merciful as he is merciful. So, what does this mean for us? I'm going to take your silence as I hope this were I hope this is soon over or I can't wait to sing a cappella again or <laughs> if you're like me perhaps it's a bit relevant. Because the most natural thing in the world is to repay evil with evil. So perhaps the worship that most matters this morning isn't that you sing another song, but it's that you literally get up and you grab a cell phone and you go apologize. You know how sometimes married folks in an argument, the big argument is over who's going to say sorry first. It's, not, it's no longer, I'll take the silence as that happens to you too. You have the issue and then you each kind of get angry at each other and then the issue becomes who's going to say sorry first. And you're sitting there thinking, why well, I always say sorry first? I always, I'm sick of saying sorry first. Did it, did it, did it. Anybody? Mmm, yeah. thank you for being honest and pretending to stretch. Mm. Seriously, just was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I always use myself as an example, not because I'm a particularly angry person but because I'm trying to catch you in your judgment of me and condemn yourselves. <laughs> Jesus did, it was like, like Jesus judo or something. But <laughs> this, I mean, this is where we live. So you are presented every single day. You will be presented in the parking lot. You will be presented when you get home. You will be presented at lunch 
with opportunities to either live according to the way the universe used to work or with the way the universe works now. We know how the story ends. So why not join the winning team ahead of time? Right? Jesus wins. Good wins. Mercy wins. Truth wins. Compassion wins. All of that wins in the end. And if you actually believe that, that frees yourself from having to get even. What I prayed, I, I, I kid you not, I've actually prayed, and Jesus has said yes to this. I've actually asked him to insert a pause when, when something bad happens in my way. Because the natural reflex, my reflexive will is just to go boom. But I want to appeal to my reflective will, not my reflexive will, my reflective will, where I will literally sit and, and there'll just be a moment where the spirit will go, how do you want to respond to this one? Now, Jesus' favorite word with me is the word really. <laughs> really? 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 And he says it nicely, but he means it really. <laughs> but there's been this pause. I call it a manopause as opposed to menopause, but that's a different, <laughs> different thing. Come on now. Come on. And it's accompanied by hot flashes. It's awesome. Some of the ladies are going, that's not funny. That is not funny. Boy, you don't even know. That is not funny. You ask my husband if it's funny. It's not funny. Husbands are going, no. But I, but I found this to be true. The minute I wake up in one of those Samson cycles, the battle's over. The minute I go, what am I doing? Jesus, come into this. Battle's over. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to give you a minute or two in quiet and stillness to consider your enemies. Because Jesus tells this fascinating, oh, you know, when we turn the lights off, you know it's real. You know it's serious. Jesus tells this amazing teaching. He says, listen, if you're at the altar offering a gift. Now, I, the only altar I know of is the one in Jerusalem. And the only gift I can think of is an offering to a priest. So maybe he means it in the synagogue, but at least in the temple. That you're there offering a sacrifice in the temple. And you remember that someone has something against you. Leave your gift and go be reconciled. In other words, the greatest act of worship for us this morning isn't, hey, great sermon, horrible sermon, or hey, let's sing another song, or hey, what's for lunch? It's to take the person that you're sitting next to, or the parents you haven't spoken to, or the children you're estranged from, or the business partner that you still can't even be in the same room together, and it's to be the one who starts by just simply saying, I'm sorry. See, Jesus teaches that his resources are sufficient so that you don't have to clutch the fleeting joy of revenge. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of somebody, an enemy, maybe someone who has something against you, maybe something you have against somebody else. And I want you to take a moment to think of that person or that group of people 
And regardless of whether or not you feel like it, I want to encourage you to pray for them. And I don't mean pray like, Jesus, I pray that they would come to see the you know, fault of their ways. And da, 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 da. No, we're not, we're not arguing with them through Jesus. Okay, I, I want you to pray blessing over them. That God would show blessing to them. Why? Because that's the way he treats us. While we were sinners, he died. So I want, I want to just give you quiet. Father, we lift up our enemies to you. And boy, do we need grace to do it. Father, we recognize your mercy towards us, your grace towards us. We recognize, God, that we are in desperate need of what you call us to give to others And Father, there are some this morning for whom this is a very, very difficult thing. And so Father, I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would break the pattern of this world in this way by the renewing of our minds. That you would introduce just a moment where we stop and think. And that you would give us grace upon grace. And that your kindness this morning would lead us to repentance. And that right now, families, husbands, wives, roommates would have conversations that have been long overdue. Father, have mercy on us, we pray. For we need you greatly. Amen.